I'm your host, Chris Parker Howard. And today on the show, we have got mentor and speaker, Doug Lawrence. And this is a fantastic conversation. We're going to get into it right away. But first, as is what we've been doing lately, the ongoing saga of my adjustment of the medication. Now, I don't know about the rest of you, but medication has always been something that has made me a little wary. Um, but here we are, here we are. And I have found myself, uh, being helped pretty tremendously by the medicine that I'm taking and it's got some side effects. And that's what I want to talk about today. One of the side effects of one of the meds that I'm on is anxiety. And so I stopped taking the med for a couple of days just to see if the anxiety would cease. And sure enough, it has. Uh, so I'm going to have to rethink my relationship with this medicine. I'm not going to stop taking it, but I think maybe I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to change the relationship a little bit. Maybe it'll be like two days on one day off, two days on one day off. We'll see how that goes. It's a billify. Uh, so it's a mood stabilizer. It's something that's supposed to keep, um, the, uh, the uh, swings from the bipolar in check. And sure enough, it seems to be doing that, but uh, having a great deal of anxiety on top of it. So uh, it's been interesting. It's been really interesting to feel that out and uh, see, see what kind of, what kind of situation I can find myself in if I take it or I don't take it. But I don't have a lot else to talk about up top because I really want to get into this amazing conversation that I had with Doug. This is a fantastic conversation. You're going to want to listen to the whole thing. And if you want to get some more Doug, go to talent.ca. I'm sorry, talentc.ca. That's the website. You can find out more about Doug uh, and more about what he's doing there. But let him tell you for himself what's going on. Let's listen to this conversation with Doug Lawrence. Doug Lawrence, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm I'm great. I'm great. I love that. Where am I talking to you from? I am in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. Hey. It was the home the home of the Grey Cup Championship as of yesterday. <laughs> well, congratulations on the championship. <laughs> well, we hosted we uh, 
we had some oopses throughout the season that prevented us from. <laughs> hey, hosting is still hosting. That's right. <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, so let's let's go all the way back. Let's let's get a little bit of a whole picture of of who you are and what you what it is you do. Uh, I, I want to know a little bit about um, what was your upbringing. What was like a, a what kind of kid were you? Saskatchewan farm boy, and that probably mm. sums it up in those few words. But grew up on a farm and stayed on the farm until. Um, I graduated from high school and then ended up, I went from the small farm, farm boy to one of the cities here in Saskatchewan where I, I ended up, I was working as a security, uh, security guard at a shopping mall and eventually at a potash mine. And, and then from there I ended up, I joined the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and spent 25 years in the police force in um, spent a large part of my service was in the north, so in the Northwest Territories. Mm. So I spent spent nine years in the Northwest Territories as a police officer before we got transferred back to British Columbia, where I I was there for about three years and then ended up uh, applying on a promotional opportunity here in Regina and was successful and so packed up and moved the whole clan all the way out back here to Saskatchewan again. Well, I mean, that's, that's a lot. And there's, there's a lot, certainly a lot to unpack there. What was, what was one of the, uh, because I, I had, one of my uncles was in law enforcement and he had all these crazy stories about things. What was one of the, what was one of the things that was the, uh, a story that you tell about something like this that you can still talk about <laughs> when, when I connect you know all the th different things I experienced all the different things I saw one of the the stories that I do share with with people is I was in a um, very small very remote um, location in northern British Columbia and that was where I got to experience um, dealing with someone who had taken their own life. And it, it was um, it, it, it was a, a different thing. Like there were no medical facilities or anything like that. So I had to, you know, take the body and drive for eight hours in 40 below weather to the closest hospital where there was a morgue yeah. where we could, you know, where we could get an autopsy and that done. Um, so that's the one story. And, and there's a lot of backstory to that, where this was a young lad, 16 years of age, who had just made the boys or not the boys, the men's hockey team, because mm -hmm. we were going to go down the highway I think the next, the following week or the week after, and we were going to play the the next community down down the road. Yeah. And he was so ecstatic, so so happy about actually being selected to to play on the men's team. He went home to share his good news with his mom and dad, only to find them both absolutely wasted and couldn't focus her on anything he was saying, and so. Out of despair, he ended up. He went into a room in the, in the place, the house, 
where they had some f- firearms and he grabbed one and he took his own life so that you know that story and all the other things of you know having to transport him his his body to you know to uh the larger facility and all of those different things that all transpired and then for me the big thing was is when i came back i really had you know no one that i could open up and share because we didn't have a, a thing we call support structure in that you right. know for any, for any of that and so it was a matter of you know suck it up buttercup and you know you've you've got to deal with it right and and what happens in a lot of cases and it did for me was you know you come home you drive all the way back back home after going through all of that and there's all there's a bunch of side stories and stuff that go with that but it was, you know, get back to my, my, my residence in the small community, get into the house and go to one of the cupboards where I kept my liquor and go and grab a bottle of liquor, throw the cap away and sit there until it was gone. And thinking at that time point, that was the answer. That was the solution, right? And yeah. all, it, all it did was make things worse. Well, yeah, as it inevitably does. It, it's... You know, uh, there have definitely been times uh, in my life where I, I because I, I come from uh, my father is an alcoholic, but he has been sober for uh, more than 40 years now. And so I have very few memories of dad when he was drinking, but you know it doesn't all go away right away either and there's you have to eventually start to do something to quiet those those noises in your head and what do you do when you haven't been raised with uh any kind of you know eye toward the things that could quiet an unquiet mind you know meditation or uh whether it be you know uh digging into your memories and trying to trying to unpack some of that trauma so you can offload it and get rid of it so for you in your particular case uh, what were the conversations about mental health that you had at all growing up what were what were some of the misconceptions you had to get over you know that's a good question because as as i've been reflecting over the last couple years the really it wasn't talked about and yeah. you know my my grandfather um had uh, served in the war albeit i believe it was very short and there was from what i can tell there was some medical reasons but he uh he took his life uh when i was i think about three years of age but i have vivid memories of him you know, sitting on his lap and and steering the car and grandma giving him the gears because, you know, you shouldn't be letting your grandson steer the car and all that sort of stuff. But he, the, the, we'll call it the culture or the environment back then, 19, the early 1950s was that you didn't talk about mental health. You didn't deal with any of those things. In fact, when my grandfather passed away and it came time to, you know, to, to bury his remains, he wasn't allowed to be buried in the local 
cemetery, he had to go to one that was 20 miles away where they, it was a bigger, it was more of a, a town at that, probably a town at that time point where, you know, my hometown was Hamlet, what they called Hamlet size. So, mm-hmm. um, but there was, there was, there was no support structure in place to, you know, and, and when you made the comment about your dad, uh, and being an alcoholic, my dad was the same. My dad and his brother were both alcoholics. And based on what I know today, it, it was, it's almost like it was hereditary where, and, and except for, because I had to be very careful and watch my behavior because it was easy to get caught up in the lifestyle that, that my father had, you know, and both my my dad and my mom. My mom um, didn't drink as much. She still drank socially and all that sort of stuff. But you know, as I think back, as I think back, that was the that was the the environment that they lived in. It was, yeah. you know, I, I can I can remember mom and dad going to a dance at the community hall and coming home and and half wasted and power up the throw the charcoal on the barbecue and you know there was friends and family and that would all come over and then at you know two or three in the morning and they're barbecuing steak yes right you know and drinking and lots of it so you know it, it that was just the way it was back back at you know back then and and that's what can have and what did have an influence on my life where, you know, I had the vivid, you know, memories, the images of my dad and his brother, you know, scrapping in the backyard and all that, you know, for no apparent reason other than they'd been drinking all, you know, all day, all night, whichever you want to pick or both. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's. Sorry, go ahead. Well, no, no, no. I, I was just going to say, so, so tell me tell me a little bit more about that, about as far as, uh, because, I, I mean, I, I think that this is an interesting picture to paint, given where you are now. Um, and I think it's, it's very fascinating to hear these beginnings of things. So in, in all of this, uh, where was your first inkling? Uh, that something was let's not say let's not say wrong um, because like you said it just kind of is how it was but what was your first intimation that uh, maybe it maybe things maybe things weren't the way they could be probably the the epiphany or the defining moment and, and it wasn't certainly right at that very time point. And what I'm getting at is I, my, I ended up, I met my wife and that's a whole nother story that we'll save for, an, for another day. But <laughs> was I, I met my wife in this small rural, her aunt and uncle lived there and she ended up coming up to do, to work on uh, with the Department of Highways as a flag person. And so anyhow, our our story evolved you know from there but it was there were times where we would have those conversations about 
is this acceptable behavior and and you know because there was so much of it going around everybody was drinking and and all that you sort of went okay that's acceptable behavior and therefore that's i need to do the same to you know follow the norms and stuff yeah. and it was it was probably i'm going to say about after we got married there was a time period there where you know the the party was still on and we were still you know drinking and having as a young married couple having lots you know good times and all that sort of stuff but there was a a, a time that it, it more so be, i think it was with once we had children then it was you know my wife being the smarter of the two of us saying you know this this is not going to work this is not acceptable behavior look at you know look at what you're teaching your children and you're following in your father's footsteps is that what you want to see have take place with your children is they follow in your footsteps and not for good things but for you know drinking and all that sort of stuff and yeah. um it, it it was there was a time kind of jumping forward but it'll put things yeah. in context there there was a time when i was teaching a, a, a workshop in uh, manitoba and i periodically deborah would come come with me when we do that and she would help facilitate some of the the teaching and that that we were doing but i had built in a segment on mental health into my my session into my workshop where you know i started to get the conversation let's talk more openly about it and let's understand you know the impacts of not addressing it in a in a timely manner and all that stuff and there was there was a time point in in the afternoon where we were having this conversation about uh, behavior and how it how it had impacted me and and i forget how it, it got set up but somebody turned to, to Deborah and said that um, this must have been difficult for you and she she as she was very frank and honest she openly said well to be truthfully honest he doesn't know how lucky he is we're still here because we came very close you know my son and my daughter and my wife came very close to walking away and saying this is not for us we didn't this is not the ride that we paid money to go on so you know it it, it caused us to have some further discussions you know that night and um more so that night than any other time uh until we got home and i did some more reflecting and i went you know i i've got to change i that that woke me up well that had to have been that had to have been really difficult i mean how many how many decades of wiring was in there at that point you know just just lots and lots and lots years yeah. and years and years and years and and to to have to start from a place of uh oh i've got to figure this out like it's it's a lot to manage for for just about anybody but you know in your situation um what was your what was your first step toward 
I mean, did you start seeking out therapy at that point or reading books or uh, what was what was your particular flavor of trying to figure this thing out? I think a large part of it, and it kind of goes in a couple different phases, I, I guess. There was the, yeah. you know, the where I got my sort of my my best learning was when I did a bunch of research on mental health and mentoring and and it ended up I long story short is I wrote a book and that that was kind of down the road down the journey quite a ways um but when I start to think you know we were working and this is where if I had any advice to give anybody especially a couple it would be that you need to communicate you need yeah. to de- you need to develop a communication strategy, if you want to call it that, with your significant other, and and you, you know, don't hide behind alcohol, don't hide behind drugs. Have that frank and honest conversation, and be open to. Because I had said to Deborah, I said, you know, when I step out of line, you need to tell me, because if I'm if I'm dr- having a couple drinks my reasoning and logic and all that goes out the window and so i need you to take and rattle my chain and sort of and say you know unacceptable you need to you know you you need to address this some other way other than more alcohol or you know i i I can remember going to friends and this you know this was before we had any major significant epiphanies but drinking at friends and and actually having to go and lay down in one of their bedrooms because i was done like i was i was toast and and i'm thinking you know how 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 much fun could that have been you know yeah right it it, probably not a lot because number one you abandoned your wife your wife who you know wanted to have a good time and enjoy the company of everybody including me and where was i i was you know toes up on the bed snoring away and just not appropriate well and you know that's the funny thing about that is that it's i i think that i i think that if people were to take a step back and look at alcohol consumption mindfully uh, and and be able to take a look at it uh, from a more thoughtful perspective. Um, you know, you might be able to treat it the same way that you would treat, you know, any other thing that's considered, you know, kind of an indulgence to be able to step back and say, uh, you know, like I grew up in a culture where... Uh, it was a it was a very poor town, um, and it, drinking was just natural to forget the day. But it was also natural to celebrate, and it was natural if something was going uh, terribly wrong, and it was just something that you did. But you didn't just do it uh, to relax; you did it to get wasted. And yeah. people drank to get drunk not to have a couple of drinks and unwind and be with friends and 
you know, have a healthy relationship with it. It was completely unhealthy right out of the gate. So for a lot of years, I, I, I wasn't a drinking guy because it just didn't, you know, the idea of getting blackout just didn't appeal to me. But the thing is, I had never really had conversations about alcohol with anybody, including my father. We never really talked about it. And so it was when I did start drinking, when I did discover, oh, I do like this. I didn't really have the tool set to navigate it properly. And so because I thought this is all it was, it wasn't until I met my wife that she introduced me to the concept that you can have one or two and go home. <laughs> that that's really interesting because Deborah was like that as as well. Was she said, "Just watch me. I can have fun and laugh and and tell jokes and stories and all sorts of stuff. And I can do it without one single drink, without yeah. one single sip of alcohol." And she did. She, you know, she could be the life of the party, and everybody would think, "Oh my God, she's just absolutely blasted," and she hadn't had a drop. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's being able to know not only uh, your limits uh, with alcohol, but just getting to know yourself as a person and having a level of comfort with yourself, so that you don't need to, uh, you know, tamp all of that anxiety down with something. So, tell me a little bit about um, about the book. What was that process like for you? It, it was, it started, so I've written two books and they, and they both kind of at this stage have followed much the same path. And, and it was some colleagues, some people who were mentors, close friends came to me and said, you know, you need to write a book about this because you're, you're busy working in that, that space and you're, you're helping other people. You need to share that. And you know, and I so I asked some more questions, and you know, especially with this last book that that we did, um, it, the the idea behind it was that what we identified was no support structure in place for mental health, yeah. and that you know none of that was there. So that was the angle that I took was what we can do is, <coughs> excuse me, as mentors we can work in that mental health space. To, to be able to help people that are dealing with um, going on that journey, on their healing journey, we, we can help, you know, through the mentoring process. And so I ended up, I did some research and, and I started to write and put stuff together. And then uh, the book was published in January of this year. And, you know, it, it's Amazon number one bestseller. Um, it just this past week received the bronze medal for the uh, Global Book Awards. And um, we're now working to see if we can get it elevated to an international bestseller and have that in places as well. So it's, uh, so the, the, the journey was lots of, lots of writing, obviously, and... Yeah. You know, it was bouncing things off of, of people, but primarily what it was was people saying right at the very beginning of my journey as an author, it was, you know, 
you need to write a book about this because you're you're in you're you know you're waist deep in this stuff now so why don't you share what you've learned with with the rest of us tell me a little bit about mentoring how did how did you get involved in that so i was uh so i've been doing this since 2009 and 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 actually i when i when i think back now i was doing it before that but i didn't know what it was i was i didn't know it had a name so um i i i ended up where i was job coaching university students uh college students helping them you know write write a resume cover letter and stuff and go for interviews and stuff and then what would happen is once they got hired and they were working in the in the work environment something would come up where you know they maybe they had a conversation with somebody that didn't go well and so they would come to me and say you know what could i do differently or and stuff like that and so i started to provide guidance um that particular path and eventually it ended up where you know i kept getting referral after referral after referral and finally there was a, a group of them that said you need to do this for a living we can't afford to pay you but i'm sure somebody could but you know you need to do this for a living and and so that's what precipitated me getting started more so in that and my first book that i wrote uh, the gift of mentoring was based on here are the processes and concepts that you as a mentor need to understand and put into practice and in uh in the gift of mentoring we actually have a number of case studies where people can read the case study and then think about how they would deal with that particular situation and then go through and read you know the 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 response to the case study that's in the book excellent excellent can you tell me a little bit about the website yeah the so i actually i have two websites the um <laughs> one the one never enough right so yeah um <laughs> So my personal website for for my company is www.talentc.ca and it focuses on all things mentoring. So and and just as an example, one of the services that you can access through the website and eventually talk to me is I have a service I call termination versus mentoring and basically what that is is if an organization is looking at terminating an employee give them to me for five one hour sessions and we'll do a behavior change and I'll give you back your productive employee that you you know you were going to terminate and and deal with it that way and I've had great success with that so that's in there also the aspect of I I speak to um implementation of a mentoring program in organizations and then I do lots of um people can come through the website and and uh request time with me on a one-to-one basis to help them navigate through personal and professional growth challenges that they're experiencing so yeah so there's that part and then the other website that that I I usually speak to is um 
the international mentoring community all one word dot com and that's my business partner uh, and I have formed the international mentoring community and its its primary function is to provide a independent body for the certification of mentors oh so that doesn't exist anywhere else there's lots of certification processes in place for coaching and coaches yeah. but there's not there's nothing for mentors until now well uh, what is what is one of the bigger differences between a coach and a mentor um, a, a coach is somebody that is more developmentally focused so they're they're more focused on saying here are the goals and objectives that I want you to work on for the next you know next two weeks and then we'll get back together again and, and that with a mentor the mentor you know it, it's more about let's have a conversation about what are the things that you feel you need to discuss so it's very much a relationship based it's uh, it has the potential to be a lot longer in duration than what a coach is like I, I have some people that I'm working with um, in uh, I do leadership mentoring with them and we've been together now for probably six or seven years uh, just because there's a I built a the relationship is based on trust and confidential confidentiality so they're comfortable with that level of trust that I've developed with them and so we just you know keep renewing the agreement on an annual basis and and deal with you know whatever comes up in the interim so how did you how did you first decide that this was going to be the thing uh, you know when I mean if, if we think back you know taking yourself back 10 years would you have seen yourself where you are now uh, part partly I would have to say partly because I was doing kind of I was doing the mentoring you know we'll call it the mentoring stuff off the side of my desk mm -hmm. and and I was seeing I was seeing the the benefits of that taking place you know there was definitely benefits for me but what I was seeing was the impact that that had on other individuals and um, so I just I kept kind of chugging away at it and then my term I was in a term position in provincial government and it came to an end and it was kind of like you know you need that one little last push yeah. to sort of say you okay it's time you got to go you got to do this now and that's what really it was they um, they let me know they advised me they weren't going to renew my term and I went okay great here I am I'm now a full-time mentor and then I'm thinking okay what does that mean and you know kind of going through all of those things and getting that all into place and I originally had started working with a company in the US to do the mentor certification and we worked together for probably five six years and then they uh, they opted out and I ended up I found a, a person who ironically was searching for much the same sort of thing and he was based in uh, Calgary Alberta and we started to have conversations and started to work together we started to build you know the the profiles for the various certifications that we were thinking you know we needed to put into place 
and we just kept working together and and here we are today you know having uh, where we've we've worked together to build this certification process and uh, you know the fact that it's based on international standards speaks very highly of you know what we have in place it's got to feel wonderful to to do all of that what have you how has this changed you Ooh, a lot um you know the i guess the big thing is number one i'm very much i'm a lot more relationship focused today than i i've ever been Mm -hmm. um it's given me the strength and the fortitude to deal with different situations that have come up like you know uh, my wife Deborah passed away in 2021 uh, because of cancer and so you know you you take a look at had it not have been for what I have been doing and what I will continue to do I could have that could have stopped me dead in my tracks and I'd have been done, you know, um, and I shudder to think what, you know, when I say I'm, I was done, I shudder to think what that actually could have meant, you know, it is, I I think I would have, I know, not, I think I know I would have reached a, a place where the darkness would have, would have won. Yeah. <laughs> So this was this was a, a healthy place for you to be able to put all of your focus. I mean, especially after you know something tragic and something so tragic, uh, like you said, you really could have gone a number of ways. But to pour yourself into something that was a net positive, not just for others but also for yourself, that must have been. I mean, you you tell me. <laughs> well, it, you know, and it's it's a couple different things. You know, number one, to to be able to uh, deal with grief. You know, the, the the loss of my wife, and to see grief all around me with you know people that I know that have passed on because of cancer or COVID or you know you just go through and. and and being able to to you know to to deal with with those in in a, in a context. So here you have the best way to describe it is here you have somebody who is grieving, but is also helping others who are grieving. And you know that's that's that was uh, a conversation that we had here not too hardly long ago was the whole idea around well how can you do that like how can you find the inner strength the inner peace to be able to say okay i'm gonna i'm gonna continue to go out to be out there to be there for other people to help them deal with you know with grief and and all the things that they're you know they're struggling with today and for me it was it was number one the awareness but also the fear of people who could be helped and and provided the guidance that they needed to not providing that help and that guidance, which is, you know, kind of like we talk about there being a, a shortcoming, a shortfall of, of help in the support structure. Yeah. Is what's the outcome? You know, what's going to happen? And it's 
there would be a lot more people that would be making that their journey, their healing journey would all of a sudden deviate where they're on the dark side and they're having to deal with, you know, the thoughts of, you know, taking their own life and dealing with a number of other things. And I just, I didn't want, I didn't want to see that happen to anyone. And so wherever I possibly can, I'm trying to insert or plug myself in, if nothing else, to be able to say that, you know, let's sit down and have a conversation. Let's just openly share how each each other is feeling and, and being able to deal with that um, and, and, and realizing that, you know, to be non-judgmental is extremely important in that aspect as well. And if we can get to that place, then we're, you know, certainly in a lot better place. And people will start to reach out to you and sort, you know, say, "I want to spend some time with you. I'd like to sit down and, and talk if we could." So, yeah, you know, I think that that's for me. That's the big thing. I. I actually had on the weekend, I've had this happen two or three times now where people have, we've been talking about their personal and their professional growth. And they said, you know, what would really make me happy is if I could be you. Mm -hmm. And I went, wow. You know, talk about a, a statement that kind of brings it all home is that, you know, people are recognizing that what you are doing is worthwhile. And... You know they they want to be a part of that as well. They you know to, be, to have somebody say I want to I would like to be like you. I'd like to do what you're doing is uh, is a pretty powerful statement all by itself. Yeah. Well, thanks for talking to me today, Doug. Oh, thank you. This is this has been really good. Uh, yeah, this has been wonderful. And there you have it. What did I tell you? Is this a great conversation or what? Man, I absolutely love that guy. I think he's got uh, some really great insight, and I'm so glad that he decided to sit down and talk to me. If you want to get some more Doug in your life, and I know that you do, go to talentc.ca, and you can find out all about what's going on with him next. There's all kinds of things on the website for you to check out. So please, please do yourself a favor and go do that. As for me, you can find me each and every Thursday at meetup.com, Coffee Over Suicide, where we do a meeting. It's much like a group therapy session without a therapist. Uh, it's just a bunch of us getting together to talk about issues. So until next time, don't kill yourselves out there.